0: Hey, I'm Erin Wynn, and you're listening to PodNed, a podcast for nurses in the emergency department. Hey guys, welcome back to PodNed. This is Lisa Lucas. It's been a while since we recorded any episodes. We had a little bit of a, uh, a hiatus, shall we say, while um, we were busy, busy with all things emergency nursing and pandemic. Um, so welcome back to the podcast. We've got a really exciting uh, new series starting. And um, we're actually going to have some more, you know, tr- diverse content, I guess, on the podcast now. Um, and today I'm joined by Kiri Dekroof. Hi, everyone. And Laura Webb. Hey, guys. My um, buddies in arms, both nurse educators where I work, and they are going to start a new series for you guys on resuscitation training. So um, we're going to actually have quite a few different series. We're also going to have uh, stick with our, some of our original content on wellness and leadership, but this is really exciting to have something new and different on the podcast. So welcome, ladies. Thanks. We're Thanks. really excited to kick this first
1: episode of the Resus series off on RSI. Let's do it. Alrighty, Laura. So um, the scenario today is that you are the drugs nurse in resus. You've just had a call ahead from QAS and they have a 45-year-old female who's approximately 60 kilos who's coming in with a polypharmacy overdose. She's currently GCS 8 and the resus team is preparing for intubation. QAS is about five minutes away. So tell me what you would do as the drugs nurse.
2: Well... My um, role as a drugs nurse would involve communicating with the SMO and the resource registrar prior to that patient arriving to the ED regarding what medications or infusions they might want to be drawn up and ready. So this would especially include drugs for RSI. This would include preparing an analgesia, sedation and paralytic to be administered in that order for RSI. Awesome. So RSI is
1: definitely the first thing that you would want to prepare for an emergent intubation. And this stands for rapid sequence induction. It's an airway management technique that induces immediate unresponsiveness through an induction agent and muscular relaxation through administration of a neuromuscular blocking agent. It's indicated in patients who require endotracheal intubation and are at an increased risk of reflux and aspiration of gastric contents. So that pretty much means that it's universally required in situations calling for emergent intubation. Hey. Yeah. So what RSI are you going to choose for this patient who has pretty stable vital signs?
2: Well, we'll talk through um, some of the medications that we can use with a patient that has stable vital signs. We're pretty much open to a variety of different options. And we'll talk about those, what some of those options are and what some of the drawbacks are for those options as well. So one of the possible options that we can go with is uh, ketamine. So this has both sedative and analgesic effects. Uh, the dose that we give for ketamine for RSI is 1.5 to 2 milligrams per kilo IV. It has an onset of action um 60 to 90 seconds. And the duration of that lasting is about 10 to 20 minutes.
1: So does that mean that you have to wait about 60 seconds before you administer the neuromuscular blocking
2: agent? We should be assessing the patient after that period of time. Yeah. Before we admi- administer that neuromuscular blocking agent.
1: Cool. Um, and what are some of the drawbacks of ketamine?
2: So some of the drawbacks include uh, that it needs to be used in caution for patients that have cardiovascular disease because it can cause hypertension and tachycardia, can also cause a laryngospasm, which is a rare side effect, and can also cause increased secretions, which is something that's quite important to know for later down the track once the patient is tubed, that they might require some suctioning.
1: Yeah, and I think ketamine is actually really, really great for hemodynamically unstable in like intubations or reactive airways because it causes bronchodilation yeah and how would you draw that up
2: in our department we draw up ketamine uh, 200 milligrams in 20 mils of normal saline which gives you a concentration of 10 milligrams per mil sweet
1: So although ketamine has some great benefits for RSI, what would you use in a patient that's perhaps a bit hypertensive or tachycardic?
2: So if we're not using ketamine, we would have to use both an analgesia and a sedative medication. So something that we could use for analgesia would be, could be fentanyl. Um, so the dose that we use for fentanyl for RSI is 2 to 10 mics per kilo, of total body weight. The onset of action of that is less than 60 seconds. So the duration for fentanyl is dose-dependent. It lasts about 30 minutes for if we're giving, for example, two mics per kilo.
1: So for this lady that would be 120 mics? Correct. Excellent. So The best indication for using fentanyl as an analgesia is patients that are hemodynamically unstable, it is relatively safe for use. Um, And then the drawbacks are respiratory depression, apnea, hypotension, has a slow onset, nausea and vomiting, muscular rigidity in high doses, uh, and potentially bradycardia or tissue saturation at high doses. So how would you prepare it?
2: For RSI, I would prepare fentanyl 200 mics in 4 mils, neat. Easy. And what sedative would you draw up with that fentanyl? We would probably go ahead and draw up propofol as our sedative medication. So propofol is... The dose that we give for that is 1.5 to 2.5 milligrams per kilo. The onset of action for propofol is 15 to 45 seconds and the duration of that is about 5 to 10 minutes. We would typically use this in a patient that is hemodynamically stable uh, as some of the drawbacks for propofol include hypotension, myocardial depression, uh, reduced cerebral perfusion, as well as other uh, Hemodynamic effects such as bradycardia and arrhythmias. And propofol is really easy to
1: draw up because it just comes as 200 milligrams in 20 mils in the vial and
2: you draw it up neat. Another choice of sedative that we can use for RSI is midazolam. Typically, this, however, is not recommended as it does have a variable potency and its effects at times can be prolonged. Some practitioners may choose to use low doses of midazolam in RSI in patients who are obtunded and primarily require amnesia rather than true anaesthesia.
1: Cool. So if you were to use midaz, the dose would be 0.3 milligram per kilo at our facility Um, and the onset could be 60 to 90 seconds, but as you said, it can have a variable onset time. Um, And some of the drawbacks are respiratory depression, apnea, hypotension, paradoxical agitation, and then, as you said, that prolonged variable response to it. Um, If we were to draw that up, it would just be five milligrams in five mils of normal saline. All right, Laura. So neuromuscular blocking agents. Mm, Yeah.
2: What do we use? Well, we have... uh couple of options that we can use during RSI. One of the options that we can use is a depolarizing neuromuscular blocking agent and the other option that we can use is a non-depolarizing neuromuscular blocking agent. So I'll just explain the difference between these two agents. So a depolarizing neuromuscular blocking agent resembles acetylcholine in their chemical structure, and these drugs induce paralysis by binding to those acetylcholine receptors and causing prolonged depolarization of the neuromuscular junction.
1: And an example of that would be succimuthonium.
2: Yeah. Cool. And then our non-depolarizing neuromuscular blocking agents also bind to acetylcholine receptors, but they cause paralysis by competitively inhibiting the action of acetylcholine at the neuromuscular junction.
1: And an example of that is rocuronium. Correct. So it's really important that when we're choosing these agents uh, that we look at the different factors of these two neuromuscular blocking agents that we'll talk about today. Um, So we'll start off with succimuthonium. So the dosage for succimuthonium is 1.5 milligrams per kilo intravenously. It has a rapid onset of 45 to 60 seconds and its duration is 6 to 10 minutes. It's used widely unless it's contraindicated. So the contraindications are hyperkalemia, malignant hypothermia, anyone that's within five days after burns, a crush injury or a neuromuscular disorder, uh, bradycardia, and it can cause fasciculations as well as elevated intraocular pressure.
2: Sucks comes in our department as 100 milligrams in two mils and it is given NEAT as per the dose that is ordered It's just worthwhile touching on what malignant hypothermia is. So it is a life-threatening hypermetabolic crisis that can be triggered by some anaesthetic drugs. It's characterised by hypothermia, so extremely high temperatures, usually greater than 40.5 degrees, muscle rigidity and metabolic acidosis. It is caused by a genetic disorder of calcium regulation within the muscle cells. Ideally, we would check with the patient if it's possible prior to intubation, whether they have any previous history of malignant hypothermia themselves or in their family. If we're unable to obtain that information from the patient, we can check the patient's uh, medical chart to see if they've had any previous history of that.
1: If the patient does experience malignant hypothermia when being administered succinylcholine. It's really important that we provide active cooling through cold IV therapy, ice to their auxiliary carotid groin, a cooling mat, and administration of dantrolene, which is 50 milligrams in 50 mils, and it is kept in theatre within our facility. It's just given as a continuous rapid IV bolus through a large vein via a large bore cannula. Uh, the resulting pH of a is 9.5, so it's really important to uh, take care to prevent extravasation as severe tissue necrosis can occur. We need to observe the patient's IV site regularly after administration.
2: So the next option that we have for a paralytic is rocuronium, and that is a non-depolarizing neuromuscular agent. The dose for rocuronium is one to two milligrams per kilo. The onset of action is anywhere from 60 to 90 seconds. We can safely use rocuronium for just about any RSI unless the patient has a documented allergy to rocuronium. And we prepare rock. Uh, it comes
1: as 50 milligram in 5 mil vials, so you would remove the appropriate number of vials depending on the dosage for the patient, and it is given NEAT.
2: So, guys, that's RSI in a nutshell. Don't forget that when you're administering your RSI medications that they're always given in the order of analgesia, sedation and paralytic. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening, listening to our, our podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Please follow your local facility guidelines and protocols when administering any RSI drugs in the clinical environment.